Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of the Modern Earth Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Roy, and I'm really excited to kick things off with a guest all the way from Sydney, Australia. A few things up top before we get started. I wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen in on my new indie podcast. For those of you with a curious mind and an interest in innovation, you're in the right place. On this podcast series, I plan to showcase how modern technology is shaping the world we see around us today. I'll be interviewing engineers, entrepreneurs, researchers, and artists from a wide spectrum of specializations to explore how their field of work is evolving with the help of modern technology and discuss how this might affect our future. For those of you who enjoyed today's episode and want to support the show, I've started a Patreon at patreon.com slash modern earth, where you can support the show for as little as $2 a month. If you're looking for a way to support the show, which costs you $0, you can hit that subscribe button, leave us a positive review, share it with a friend, and drop us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now on to our very first episode. Today's guest is a researcher from the University of Technology, Sydney, who's been focusing on research for implementing virtual reality within robotics. Him and I met through an Australian conference on robotic vision, and after hearing about his latest work, I had to have him on the show. Get ready for rock scaling with virtual reality, our top recommendations for VR headsets and games, computer brain interfaces, haptic feedback devices, Neuralink, the jump between simulations and real-world testing, funny VR chat stories, thoughts on if we're all in a simulation, how console gaming might evolve in the coming years, and where the future of VR might be headed with today's guest, Tony Lee. want to get into it, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, where you're from, where you are now, some of your favorite hobbies. Okay. So, hello. Um, I'm Tony. I'm from Vietnam, so I'm full Vietnamese, but I've been living in Sydney, Australia for the past two, three years. I studied mechatronics at uh, the University of Technology, Sydney, so that's UTS. Uh, I, I graduated uh, last year. I like um, robots. That's why I study mechatronics. I like tech in general. And during my time here at, at UTS, I also found my love for research. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm trying to combine the three things into one, robots, technology, and research. Yeah. Uh, what do I like to do? What's my, what are my hobbies? Um, I don't stick with a hobby for too long. Uh, I like to experiment new things, jump around a bit. But uh, the two that sort of have stuck with me for my years would be video games. Like I'm really passionate about video games, not just, I see it as a form of art, always has been. And also recently I picked up guitar, uh, so I've been practicing that. Nice, nice. If you could talk a little bit more about your research uh, and what drew you to focusing on research with virtual reality? Yeah, well, what drew me into it 
uh, at the beginning was just the technology itself. Like, <laughs> like how I said, I was into video games, and then obviously, I had always wanted to try VR games before, but <laughs> I couldn't thought up like a good reason to get a VR headset because of all the things that people said, like how the technology is not there yet and it's a waste of money, like all that. And so I, I like during my last two semester, like when we did our research at UTS, which is like, yeah, I, I should do something with VR so that just so I can get a good reason to get um Oculus Rift or something. <laughs> um I honestly feel like that is part of the reason why I also got a VR headset. So I was like, I really think this is some cool technology and I want to do some research. And then I'm like, maybe there's a way <laughs> I can combine the two. So sometimes it's a hard it's hard to justify dropping a few hundred dollars on a headset and then you're like, it's for school. It's for research purposes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so your research, um, maybe I think we had spoken a little bit prior and you were explaining to me some of your research project involving like virtual reality and a rock climbing wall. Yeah. So it's about using VR for robotics. Um, and specifically, I was funded or like me and my colleagues in our research center have a, an industry partner. They are in the mining sector of Australia, and they funded us to work on this robot that would climb on these like vertical, dangerous rock surfaces and remove rocks. So that that's that's what they call rock scaling. So you remove rocks in mine sites um, that are eroded to a point where they can fall off at any time, and then injured personnel are working in mine sites. So they did propose this robot idea. And then I worked with a few other people to, to build a robot. And then um, I talked with my supervisor about it, about how I wanted to do something with VR. And everybody agreed that it would be a pretty cool idea to use VR somehow to, to control that robot. It has this manipulator arm on it. And um, I'm using the VR interface to control your arm to execute this task. At cool. this point, we have like a prototype version of the robot, but it's, it's still a prototype. Um, and I've got a simulation up and running in Unity um, to do any sort of testing before deploying on the real thing. And hopefully someday we can actually deploy it on site and have it working. Yeah, that's a big thing is going yeah. from having something in a simulation to having it in real life. There seems to be probably quite a few hurdles uh, yes. or just factors you didn't consider. You didn't see that coming? Right now, I guess you've got your simulated prototype. Can you think of anything that might complicate things when you're trying to do it in real life? Oh, like a lot of things. Like That's, that's like its own field of research, um, the same to real research field. But um, for my case specifically, even how this robot is obviously going to be on a rock surface, like how the wheels and everything on it is going to interact with the surface, even though like the physics simulation we've got is pretty good, it's never going to be good enough to go down to the molecular level, like even the grains of dirt or something. That's going to change the dynamic of the whole system. Totally. Or like the dust or sand. Yeah, like the dust. Um, or even like unexpected stuff like the weather, 
how it affects everything. The humidity. And also in this case, we have, yeah, and also in this case, we have the human in a loop as well. So we, we will have somebody controlling the robot and it, it will have some sort of um, like a level of um, autonomy, but human control directives will be still be in place. So that would be a pretty important thing. If you think about the controls from the human, you have to also, I guess, think of the human who's controlling it might be someone who's incredibly skilled or trained with that robot, or you might have an operator who's really not so familiar and then their controls or their inputs are much more erratic. Yeah. So I guess that's something you also have to consider whenever you're doing a design case. Yeah, exactly. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to use VR, but, um, just because of the implications of how immersive it is and how intuitive it is to, to get into VR and interact with things. Whereas like, if you think about training a person to use a robot or any sort of tools, um, and tell them to sit down on a monitor with a mouse and keyboard with a set of instructions to do things. And then that's hard compared to just putting on uh, VR goggles and interact with things, how they normally um, interact with them in their daily lives. And yeah, and then like uh, past research on the use of VR for training it's it's huge it's like the main apart from video games that's like the main use of vr right now for training yes yeah because yeah, i think when people think of vr they instantly just think of video games but there's so much potential beyond that uh yeah. if you had to think of any other cool applications for vr which could be used in the future does anything come to mind yeah right now you can see vr being used by a company like walmart or like retail retailers or even like those uh, aircraft technicians, like they train in VR, uh, like they do it a million times so that when they work on the real thing, like no faults are uh, gonna happen. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. When you're like an aircraft technician or someone who's like a pilot, you only get one mistake. Uh, apparently everybody gets one. Bingo. Yeah, so uh, you have to hope that you don't crash the plane. But I guess that's just a, a really good method for trying to train someone is to just do it in a virtual space. I know I would probably feel more comfortable trying to learn how to fly a plane in a virtual reality simulation rather than like in an actual jet the first time I go yep. at it. And, and obviously, you, you still want them to, to work on the real thing eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't trust somebody who's just trained on VR alone. But is that like fundamentally needed? Like, if the tech improves, and we're not talking about VR anymore, like something more immersive, something mm -hmm. that gives you tactile feedback, yeah. and like you can't distinguish between that and the real thing that like because you asked about like other applications of vr other than video games and i think the technology itself its limits and its current state also affects what we can think of um, when we think of vr or similar tech probably just because of like how immersive the technology actually is in its present state because right now what we have is just a headset and then maybe controllers, yes. but you very much know that you're using a virtual reality headset and that you're in this simulated space. But yeah. let's say let's say you had like a virtual reality rig which gave you tactile feedback and was just so immersive that you couldn't even distinguish it from reality. Could you then theoretically train someone in that space to be a pilot and then them know exactly how to fly a plane in real life? Yeah. 
what would be the difference, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then even further than that, moving away from VR, like uh, cutting edge research with brain computer interfaces, uh, literally streaming the matrix to your brain. Um, is that going to be the future? Um, it's very intriguing to think about. Yeah, because right now it seems that there's two different ways that things could go. Because right now we have, um, mm -hmm. let's say, haptic feedback peripherals such as gloves or treadmills or bodysuits, almost like how you see in that movie Ready Player One. But then now there also are yeah. alternative companies who are designing like computer brain interfaces which bypass the physical world altogether. And it's literally just something that's sitting on the outside of your head or in the case of Neuralink, it could be like a chip in your head. And that's stimulating your brain to think that you are in some alternate state than where you are in real life. Mm -hmm. And that to me, that is pretty, that's pretty crazy. So um, I'd be interested to know what your thoughts are on that. Like what you think the direction of simulated worlds could be with regards to those options. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Would you be down for that? Would you be down to have a chip in your brain, link it up? Yeah. See, like, I don't, I don't know because, because this is two guys like you and me both talking and we both love virtual reality. And I still think that is kind of scary yes. right there's so certainly like, a bias here yeah yeah but no but still, it's, yeah. it's still scary so i wonder if the average consumer would ever really want that because if we as like enthusiasts of that technology are still a little bit concerned about it that only goes to show what like your average consumer would think that being said i think i would be down to try it Okay. Yeah. Um, Putting wires into brains and this whole interface that I guess would allow a higher bandwidth interface between the brain and a computer. But I don't know if I would ever want something like implanted in my brain. I'd say I feel the same. Have you ever seen the TV show Sword Art Online? And it's essentially they play a video game, but then they just they put on a headset mm -hmm. and then they just they just lay in their bed and it almost puts them into the matrix, but like they're not moving their body in the physical world anymore. It's all completely in their brain. It's going to be surprising because I have I haven't watched Sora Online. I know about Sora Online mm -hmm. and believe me, like the times that show come up when I do research about VR and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. That and Ready Player One. But I haven't I haven't watched it. Maybe I should. You really should. <laughs> it's but, pretty good. Yeah. Have you seen the the things that Papa Elon Musk has done uh, with his Neuralink yeah. and experiments on like a pig or something. Yeah, I have seen that. And then the the pig is like moving its snout and then the sensor is beeping depending on how many different yeah. neurons are firing based on stimulus to its snout. So that is like a really good, simple application of this chip implanted in this pig's brain. Yeah. But Things are only going to progress to get better and better and better. And at some point, yep. they could theoretically use that chip to just stimulate your brain so that you are in a completely different environment or you're at least convinced yeah. you are. Like, I'm not an expert in brain computer interfaces or like yeah, me either. neural stuff at all. <laughs> but I feel like us trying to understand the brain 
and like how well we can work with it will be an integral part of this technology. And I believe like we've studied the brain for so long now, um, and we still like don't know almost anything about it. Like, what what is a thought? What is consciousness? Like, how, yeah. how even our eyes are streaming images to our brain and intercepting that? It's it's still a long way to go. Um, so going back to your question about the two sort of directions that VR can go, I still believe that um, we get um, to the like tactile feedback, like um, peripherals, gloves, treadmills, stuff like that first. But ultimately, yes, the people who are working on brain-computer interfaces get it to a reasonable, reasonable level, and there's no need for the other stuff as well. And eventually, one will take over the other. But in the near future, um, I can see everybody having um, like a headset, like a personal one, like 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 how we have phones nowadays, and sort of having that as the main interface we, that we interact with each other and with. Um, everything else but yeah sometimes it almost makes me wish that we lived in like 2100 or 2200 so that we could experience this crazy technology that will one day be there but like if you think about it vr technology is already starting to expand so much they just released like the Oculus Quest 2. Yeah. That's the one I have. But now they're also going to be launching like an Apple VR headset in the next couple of years. So as soon as Apple launches something, it's mainstream. <laughs> I'm curious. I actually don't know which VR headset you have right now. I'd love to just like know which one you use if we use the same one um, or if there's any that you recommend. The Quest 2 is what we're using for our research project. Okay, so, that's what I own as well. Um, now, that's not my personal one. I, I own an Oculus Rift S. So that was what I got when I started uh, VR research. And it's, it's pretty interesting because they, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Oculus started like the commercial VR headset trend. They did. But then like the HTC Vive, from Valve and Lenovo sort of take over for a bit. And that's like the high end, like that's what you get if you want to get serious about VR. Yeah. Um, and for like it, it lasted for like a couple of years. And then Oculus released their Rift line and then the Quest line and all that. And then now it gets so cheap compared to what it was five or six years ago. And it was like $3,000 for yeah. uh, like a very prototype headset, yeah. the development kits. Yeah. Oculus. Compared to that, like now you can get the Quest like four hundred bucks or something. Yeah, it's crazy if you think of like the the H, the HTC Vive. Um, that's the one from Valve, and then they also now have like the Valve Index, but that is a thousand dollars USD. And I mean, those are both also fantastic headsets if you are looking to get really serious about VR, but yeah. it seems that the market lately has really responded to the quest twos just because it's completely standalone and it's super low price point. So it's just like so easy for an average consumer to just pick it up and get into it. Yeah. And that's actually sort of where I started 
But now I'm seeing why it would be fun to get into some PC VR games where I can up the graphics and what was okay. Let me have another question for you. Um, what was your very first experience with VR? Mm, okay. Do you remember? I do actually remember. I was at my friend's house. Um, his name is Amory. He's a super cool guy, uh, and he lives in Nunavut right now. But um, we we were at his house in Winnipeg, and he has. I don't know which headset was. I know it was an Oculus one. This must have been four plus years ago. And he was like, you got to check out this VR headset. So we just walked around his block outside and drank four or five beers uh, <laughs> until we were feeling pretty good. And then we went back to his house and he just put me inside of an ocean. And then after he put me in like some scary horror game and it was like you're strapped to this chair and you can just move your head. I mean, it, looking at that game now, it seems so trivial. But at the time, it was just like such a new experience. I was like, wow, this is pretty crazy. What about you? I, I'm curious to know what your first experience was with virtual reality. My first experience is not great at all. <laughs> I think... My story will speak true to many people. Like we all started with these plastic headsets that you put your phones in. Yes. You know yeah, those? yeah, yeah. Or like the cardboard ones. <laughs> the cardboard ones. Um, and I think like Samsung, they, they have like a Gear VR setup with, where you put your like your Samsung in it, which is like better than the cardboard ones. But still, still. like you can't compare that to like a proper headset at all. Yeah. So that was my first experience, like with that and like playing these videos on YouTube where you like you're on a roller yeah. coaster, you know, like those ones. So my, my like my real first experience with this actual VR uh, was with this Rift S that I bought for my research. And yeah, I could totally I, I wasn't down like five beers like you <laughs> you were, but still like the moment I put it on and try like the intro game or something. By the way, it's like a great intro to VR. Um, it, it blew me away and then I spent the next couple of days just, <laughs> uh, when I'm not awake, just wearing it and playing. Yeah. Stuff. I remember the first time I started playing, I, oh, well, 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 I'm not sleeping. That's why. Yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> but like the first time I, the first time I started playing my quest two, I started playing, I think four hours or five hours the first day. And then the next three or four days was like nine or 10 hours. Like I would play for five hours, then the headset would die and then I would go charge it and then play for five more hours and then it died again. What did you play? I downloaded a bunch of games through SideQuest and was just trying out a bunch of different ones. There's a right. really good game called Ancient Dungeons. You explore these little dungeons. It almost looks like Minecraft, but it's definitely a very different game from that. It's probably one of my favorite games, though. Um, and the nice thing, it's because it's for the Oculus Quest, like it's all standalone. So it's actually really immersive when you're suddenly not attached to a cable anymore. Um that intro game was really good. Like the, is that the one where you have the little robot that looks like Wally and he's giving you the cartridges? Yeah, that's the one. Yes. Yeah, that one's <laughs> that one. the one I always show any friends who want to try playing. And for anyone wanting to check out that game, it's called Oculus First Contact. It's available for free in the Oculus Store, and I also included a link to it in the show notes. 
I like it because it's very 80s vibes, but also virtual reality at the same time. You play along with this little robot and you get to spawn tons of different interactive virtual reality objects and see how they work. So definitely worth checking it out, especially if you're new to the virtual reality experience. I've realized too with virtual reality is a lot of these experiences, people would just call them games, but I like to sometimes call them like virtual experiences because some of them there isn't always a level to beat or something to clear. It's just you get put in this space and you have some sort of ability in that space or like some sort of means for you to interact with it. And you're just allowed to explore that. So a good example is this one called Hand Particle. And it's probably my favorite virtual reality experience that is on my headset right now. And it's not a game. It's just you can put your own music in it and it tracks your hands so you don't even need a controller. And you can just like look around and you draw with your hands like in the sky And anything you draw then reacts with the music that you've put in there. And it's just so, it's calming. Like I can dance in my living room and I'm sure anyone from the exterior watching me would think I'm totally crazy as I'm just standing there with my virtual reality (laughs) headset. But anyone I show, they're instantly like, wow, I understand now why you enjoy this so much. That sounds pretty psychedelic. eh? (laughs) I'm definitely just sober when I play it, but I do for sure always think like, wow, someone who's trying to party would probably really appreciate this. You should probably try this. You should definitely try that one. Like that one's probably one of my favorites. So do you have any favorite virtual reality games? Like, and, and maybe you can tell me why they're your favorite. Like if there's anything that stands out in them as just fun. Well, I guess the game that I always I always go to be Beat Saber. Yeah, I have that one as well. Just because I've I've all like I've always liked rhythm games and like you know like dancing on those uh, like dance maps. Yeah, Dance Dance Revolution. Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we had a different name when when it came to Vietnam, but yeah, I loved that game to death, and so like I knew Beat Saber like would be for me, and then. Yeah, that, that has always been my main VR game, but also VR chat. <laughs> VR chat's really fun. Like you just meet so many random people. Um, that was actually the first game that I played when I got my Quest 2 because my friend and I, who he lives in California, we were going to play uh, online together and we're like, okay, we just need something easy so we can figure this out because we had like both just put our headsets on. And it was hilarious. Like you're, you just spawn in as like a loaf of bread or something really random. And then um, I think my, my friend, like I was like a, I think a stick of butter and he spawned in as like some strong man in spandex. And we were just (laughs) dying laughing at like, what is this game we just turned on? But it's so fun and you can explore tons of worlds and meet random people and, yeah, it's, cool. it's really cool. It's like people get so creative with creating the avatars to like yeah. what you can be. Like they're so creative with it. Um, that, that, that's what was one of the main games that I spent most of my time with when I, when I was first introduced to VR. I got the riff because like that was also when I was going through some tough times. I just needed like people to talk to and didn't have really anyone around. Mm. It's like all my friends are 
in Vietnam was like not there, and then I was super busy with work and all that, and sometimes just get off from work and then just go to VR chat and chat to people. Yeah. And I, do you know about these like um, videos on YouTube where they interview? Uh, people in VR chat and they tell their life stories and stuff. What? No, it's I didn't really know. I didn't know cool. that. That's. I've never really looked no? that up. No. Um. That's cool that people just like go into VR chat and yeah, like tell like, me your life story. Almost, yeah, and almost like a like therapy. And like it's cool if you randomly end up in like some world and then there's tons of people. But I've ended up in worlds where there's like three people and you're just chatting with someone. And even though they're just like some animated character in front of you, there's something about knowing that it's a real person and like you seeing their hand gestures as they're talking. It just like makes it that much more real. Like, yeah, um, it's definitely a cool way to just make make a new friend online. Yeah, definitely. Dang, any other games before I before I jump to my next question? I'm curious. Super hot. Oh, I haven't got I haven't got super hot yet. I heard it's good. Yeah, it's really good. It's like time moves when you move. Yeah, and it's like a, like I played on PC too, um, mm. like, like traditional mouse and keyboard, and it's a completely different game because in that one you can only move with your WASD keys, and then you move your mouse around to to change where you shoot and stuff. But in this, like you move your whole body. Yeah, and like you are your hands and tracks where your head is and then it's a completely different game and you have to dodge bullets do you feel like you're in the like, matrix uh, like matrix oh yeah, yeah okay yeah. there you go <laughs> what is real how do you define real if you're talking about what you can feel what you can smell what you can taste and see then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain it's really cool it makes it's <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah it makes you feel like a like a superhero or something so, okay, getting back to the topic of research, um, okay. what would you say your main goal is to accomplish while you're studying at um, UTS? Uh, and is there any, let's say, like grand research question that you have in mind that you're wanting to tackle or are you just kind of going do your research as you get inspired? I've, I've thought about this question a lot um, and like, well, the main goal is to graduate, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's a harder goal than obviously. you think. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, but like even before you start your research, because I'm not I'm not a PhD candidate, a PhD student yet. I'm still waiting for the uni to reply to my application. But if I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start in August. It's just like officially start a PhD even though I'm already doing research for for uni. But yeah, like I guess with with any sort of research fields or anyone who's who's doing research, I guess we all want whatever we're doing to have an impact on people's lives, right? Or even like a group, like a small group of other researchers or something. We don't want to like publish a paper or something and we get ten people to read it and no citation and nobody finds it useful or anything like that or it doesn't make anybody's lives easier so i guess that's my main goal is to try to find a way to make my research as impactful as possible mm. and that's a tough I thing to do i think maybe one of the things that makes it hard in our field specifically or just when talking about robotics is that it's 
such a technical field that you like it's hard enough to mm. develop let's say a virtual reality interface to control this complex robot but then you also have to consider the user who probably doesn't know anything about robots or very little about virtual reality or has never used a virtual reality headset so there's like a third factor that you then have to consider with your work mm. which is just like usability yeah. and even more than that like at the end of my PhD or my research, I don't want the results to be just so that I have this VR interface to work with this specific robot to do mm -hmm. this specific task. Mm -hmm. um, I really want to make it so that um, people can use my stuff for their project and like pay it forward somehow. Um, and hopefully, yeah, use it for other purposes as well, not just um, for the specific robot, right? Because that would be pretty boring. You don't want to look back and say, oh, God, this, that, this is what I've been working for the last four years. This, this, this specific thing. Yeah, it's two, it's two sides. I think it's two sides of the same coin where if you do if you do research in other fields and not engineering um, and you do a lot of theoretical stuff, you do, maybe you do experiments and you improve something, it's more rewarding to be an engineer or like doing something technical for your research you get to touch it you get to deploy it to site it, it's a robot right it's it's fun to to work with a robot what is my purpose you pass butter but the difference between an engineer and a technical researcher i think is like the scope as an engineer once you deploy deploy a product to to your customer base and you got like a product life cycle going that's it um but for a technical researcher you also work on the engineering side of things but you always have to think about like what what sort of research are you getting out of that does it help who's going to use this technology who's going to use it does it help anybody else other than yourself and this specific project it's a it's a thin line to and i see a lot of people struggle with that they either have something that's too technical and just purely engineering or something that's you can't touch it at all you can't touch it at all, just as in it's just too specific to their one particular project. And so you wouldn't be able to, let's say, reuse that or apply it to an alternative. Yeah, either that or like it's not deployable. It's like purely research and it answers questions, but you can't immediately apply it to anything. Mm, yeah, I'm actually noticing that right now because like I'm starting a research project and it's definitely a very long process determining the perfect research project to do, which is actually going to give me answers to new questions, but also be something that could later be implemented, but it broadly and not just for like one specific thing. I think I've slowly hammered out a project, but I guess it's one of those things that when you're trying to think of one large PhD project, it's going to be evolving until you start to really see the finish line. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you just got to do the work first and it will show you yeah. what you, like you can do with it. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, well, I know right now you have a YouTube channel, if I'm not mistaken, right? <laughs> uh, yes. I what do. is it? It's called, um, it's called Mechatony. Yeah, it's called Mechatony. It's like you have Godzilla and then Mecha Godzilla. 
Tony and Mechatoni. Nice. I love that. I love that so much. Um, Well, do you want to talk to me a bit about maybe some of your favorite projects that you have featured on your channel? I'll be sure to link the channel in the show notes for everyone to go check out. (laughs) I only started using this channel only for my um, uni projects. So that's what you will find on there at the moment. So there's a bunch of stuff that I did in uni. And um, there's actually one uh, called the Ping Pong Robot where it's a Unity simulation of a, a manipulator robot playing ping pong with you in VR. Yeah, I saw that actually. So that's what I started with. That's what I, I that was the original uh, project with this Oculus Rift. I played VR ping pong with this robot cool. in simulation. But since I've, I graduated last year and I, have, I haven't even posted anything since then. So I saw that ping pong game and I saw you hit the ball to it and then it will always get the ball. Is there ever a way, or did you ever work on it more to make it so like it could really return it to you? Um, no, because that that was for like a subject in uni, and it ended before I could complete it. Okay. So what what we had because it's a group project. What we had there was yeah, it could predict where the ball would be and sort of nudge it a bit. But there's the problem with the hardware as well. Like the the arm that we use couldn't actually produce the torque that would hit the ball back to you. And the speed that we were running was not fast enough to reflect like human reflex, right? Uh, to, to hit the ball back. So no, I would love to work on it, but at the moment now it's just, just hits the ball and then yeah. just falls on the table, sadly. That's probably like the, the struggle is just, there's always too many little projects to do and not enough time. Yeah. Do you have a hundred unfinished projects just on your computer? <laughs> Whether it's about robotics or just lots of little things, I feel like I've always got 50 projects on the go and they're just like unfinished or there's just like another step to do for them. And it's like, I do not yeah. have time to do all of these. That's a struggle. Yeah, like not just engineering, like I do other things with guitar stuff. So I have snippets of like music that I recorded but never finished. It's just there. And it's one of those things too that's like guitar is it, you could play for 12 hours a day and still be getting better every day if you just only did that for 12 hours every day for a year. Right. But you've got you've to really pick the focus. So like if you have lots of different interests, like you were saying, what is it about robotics and about virtual reality that just like makes it stick so much for you that you choose to want to do that over a bunch of other things? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, one that I've asked for a long time. Well, if, if you ask me now, as I'm already like a couple of meters deep into this research journey and robotics and all of that. Like I, I can't see myself doing anything else. Yeah. But if you ask me like a couple of years ago when I was just starting uni stuff, I guess since I was little, I've always known that I wanted to be an engineer. So like I always love to tinker with stuff. It's both a passion. I think it's cool to be an engineer. And I think it has more of an impact on other people's lives. Because that's my life goal, I think, at, at least at this point in my life. Nice. Yeah, I want to just, I want to help people. And I want to, uh, like, my, my work can have an impact on people's lives. So I think engineering is a good field if you, you want to achieve that goal. Um, and also I'm Asian. 
So my parents won't let me do anything else other than engineering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just the truth, isn't it? <laughs> There's probably a lot of people out there who are just nodding their heads like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think my mom would be pretty sad with me if I decided not to try and pursue an engineering career after having gone to school for engineering for four years. So... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so I'd be curious to know, just based on your interests um, and where you see your research going, is there any companies um, in the world right now that you think it'd be cool to work for or any that you think are doing really interesting things? You could tell me why you'd like to work for them or why what they're doing interests you so much. Well, in, in terms of career path, um, I really enjoy academia and, and teaching and all that because I've been doing, I've been doing teaching since I was in, in high school like I, I was in this like society or clubs we had in high school and we would teach stuff to like younger like junior high school kids cool. uh, like um, stuff yeah stuff like programming and I do know something so I've been doing teaching since then and I've really enjoyed it so I, I see I, I feel like that's where I'm gonna be headed after graduate and get a PhD and, and everything. But if I could work for any company in the world, um, there are some really cool ones like Boston Dynamics with what they're doing with their robots. Yeah. What what is they're selling the dog robot now, right? The um, um the little patch. one you can like push over and it just hops back up. Yeah. Oh yeah, I love watching the videos. Spot robot. Yeah, the dog robot spot yeah yeah and did i look up this cute little spot robot of course i did i actually went online and found a video from adam savage who was testing it out super cool video it's about 20 minutes long showing all these demos with him and what it's capable of i then after checked how much it would cost to buy one at which point i was pretty disappointed to see it's seventy five thousand dollars usd so probably the best i'm gonna do is watch that video Super cool watching it. I think you should too. Link in the description. Because like, if that's what they're selling, who knows like what they're what's making, the, what they're working on behind the scene. Yeah. Yeah. Like what they're working on behind the curtains, right? Um, so it'd be really cool to see. Um, and also maybe, you know, Valve, the video game company. Oh, yeah. I know Valve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody knows Valve. So they work with uh, HTC to work on that HTC Vive. They now they've released their own Valve Index VR headset, and then in March of last year they released a game called Half Life Alex, which like I think is like the best VR game ever. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. should have mentioned that when we talk about VR yeah games. completely forgot about Half Life Alex, but <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's yeah that's I would tell people that that would be like AAA of game of VR games or like the ones you sh- should always try, but. I've, I watched a couple of interviews with Gabe, um, Gabe Newell, and then he talked about how Valve has sort of moved on from VR and like they, they, they see that the market for VR headsets and everything has like matured already. So now they're working, they're looking for new tech in like brain computer interfaces and all that. And whew, wow. like, like I don't know what they're working behind the scene on what sort of crazy game they have there, but really, really cool. To, to work on that firsthand. Yeah, I think like, I think it would be just interesting to even be part of a team who's to, trying to just develop 
a single product. It would be cool on one hand to be the researchers just trying to do research in computer brain interfaces, but then also it'd be fun to be on a product team trying to build a product to bring to market for users. Like how amazing would it be? I don't even know how long it would be until we could see like a commercial computer brain interface headset. Do you know, uh, I was asking if you knew the uh, the Gartner hype cycle graph. So it, it's it's like this graph that shows the expectation of, of users on a particular technology over time. So it's, it's like, imagine a roller coaster ride when it goes up really high and then drops down like really low and it sort of even out at the middle. Mm-hmm. So that's what the chart looked like over time. Like when the technology emerged, it's like people have really high expectation for it. And then once they actually get their hands on it, uh, it sort of dropped down and then it matured, like the product matured. So I think VR is like on the mature size already. Like uh, people can buy commercial VR headsets and mm-hmm. have ones in their home and then, and all that. But bringing it into faces is still at this beginning yeah. side. And I don't, I don't think it's, even at the peak of expectation yet, because like no. not a lot of people know about it. And once they see Elon Musk or somebody show something that's more visual and show it like they showcase something, a prototype, and then an expectation would grow like uproar. And mm. then, then that's when the peak of development's gonna start and people are gonna jump into it, like put money into it. For sure. And that's where we will see it actually happening. Yeah, because I think when people start to really get interested in uh, a potential technology is when they can actually start to visualize it, either using it themselves or like what the application would be. Like right now, if you look at Elon Musk's Neuralink and he's given tons of explanations of what this technology can do and how it can treat patients who have cognitive disorders of some sort. But then when he shows an example, yeah, 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 stuff like that. Uh, And then he shows an example of the pig and the pig is using his snout to sniff around and then it's showing the sensors reacting uh, in the Neuralink according to the stimulation for on his snout. And that is a very interesting thing, but I'm sure that a lot of people who see that can't really visualize like, okay, here's a pig and it's showing the stimulation to the sensor. How does that apply to us using this chip as like a computer brain interface to create a simulation? Like there's still that disconnect there because people aren't really maybe up to speed on how that technology works. I think that's always going to be a very big like barrier with that technology, whereas compared Mm -hmm. to VR where... People know that they can take off the headset at any time. Mm-hmm. It's like once a chip is implanted, it takes surgery to get it out. Yeah. So there's always going to be that barrier. And I don't know how, even for other technologies like self-driving cars, even the idea that you're in a car that you're not in control and then you're reliant to make decisions on your life, like that just, they're not allowed to be like fully autonomous yet on the roads. Yeah. Though they've been around for a while. Yeah. People are buying Teslas every day. Well, it's, it's crazy to even just think for virtual reality, like the only difference would be if you wanted to 
use Neuralink for the purpose of creating some sort of virtual reality simulation. That's essentially taking your brain and letting it go on autopilot with this computer rather than letting you run it yourself, right? Because you could theoretically use this thing and then it could quote unquote crash and then now your brain is messed up. I don't think that's how it works, but maybe there's too much speculation in the technology, but that's the idea. And like, I'm sure that's what your average person would think. Like I've talked with people who don't really know too much about virtual reality or like brain computer interfaces, but I just ask them like, okay, well, if you had some sort of interface like that, would you use it? I think people would be very skeptical to letting something take over, essentially shut them off to put them in an alternate state. Yeah. Like if you can intercept the images that are coming from your eyes, your brain, you intercept all the neural senses, like throughout your body, your fingertips, like your sense of touch, you intercept that, and then sense of smell and hearing and all of that. And then when your brain sends a signal to control your motors, like your, your arms and legs, and instead of going to your arms and legs, just go to the interface and then sends to this game engine to render it. What's your free will, right? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? You have to really hope that the escape button works when you need it to work. But how do you hit the escape button when the signal that's sending to your motors are being sent to the game engine? Instead? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> like, there's got to be some master switch. The craziest thing about technology is generally, if you can think of any crazy sci-fi idea, whether it's brain computer interfaces or what have you, there is someone out Mm -hmm. there who will try and make that thing for real. So some guy was like, wouldn't it be cool if there was brain computer interfaces? And then some researcher was like, let's make it. As long as they only do it to themselves. Yeah. No one's hurt. Yeah. And there's consent. Yeah. See, and and that's the thing is like, obviously all of this will be totally consented. Like, it's not like we're going to force people to get a microchip in their head, but I think there will definitely be people who will be interested in doing it. I think the first people who would ever get Neuralink in their head will be someone who's trying to cure some sort of cognitive disability. Right. But after they've dealt with all of that, then I think the next people who are going to use that are people who are going to want to use it for some ulterior motive, be it trying to play a game or trying to augment themselves. I don't know, maybe like increase their memory or something like that. So it does get scary when you start to think about that. Do you think we'll reach a point where it's like you need consent? It's like we're not forcing people, but we're doing the same thing with mobile phones, like smartphones nowadays. Like we're not forcing anyone to buy a smartphone. But if you don't have a smartphone, you can't do literally anything these days at all. So do you think we reached that point? I think that actually could very well happen. But I honestly think that that even could end up happening. Like that could even start to happen with virtual reality or like maybe not even like a virtual reality headset, but some sort of augmented reality device. Yeah. Like right now, the only thing that's different then using an augmented reality device is, oh, we have our phones in our pockets, so I have to pull it out so I can look at the screen. But eventually there could be some sort of augmented reality device that's just like a little chip that sits on top of your ear and then it projects something and allows you to see it. So that's still future technology, of course, but the premise is essentially 
eventually some sort of technology like that could exist. And then anyone who doesn't have that technology is going to be missing out on tons of different things that your average consumer has. Back in my days, we stare at screens. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you think about it now, though, like it's crazy. When I was in high school, we still had flip phones and now we have these iPhones that can take just as good of a photo as a Canon camera. So if you consider any sort of advancement in technology at all, that in 20 years, the market for virtual reality or augmented reality devices is going to expand exponentially. That also then scares me for people who use virtual reality as, let's say, an escape. For example, I know this isn't why I use it, but I do know that it is a thing that people who use virtual reality sometimes use it as a method to escape their normal life because they have problems or situations that they don't want to deal with. And in virtual reality, they can just create themselves a space that is way more favorable or they have access to things that would be financially impossible to create in the real world. So that it does scare me to think that like if we could continue to make virtual reality less distinguishable from real life, what would be the reasoning for living in in reality when you could just be in this virtual space and have access to anything and everything you desire? Yeah, maybe we are living in one of those simulations right now we're in a a simulation right now and for anyone wanting to dive into an existential crisis and go down the never-ending rabbit hole which is the simulation argument i've linked a great simulation video from my favorite youtube channel titled is this reality by kurtz kazak right and the outside world is much how can it get even worse (laughs) than this but yes it can yeah, that's that's why I think we can't. There's no way we can be. Maybe we're in a simulation, but if we were, it, I feel like it would be better because we wouldn't all be sitting inside wondering if we're in a simulation instead of just being outside with our friends. It's definitely weird to think of the idea that we could all be in a simulation. I think like most of the people like leading in technology, like Elon, even like uh not in technology, but Neil deGrasse Tyson, like everybody has voiced their opinions on, are we living in a simulation? I think the answer is like, most certainly or like 50-50 or something, which is quite scary. But I think I've watched too many videos and read too many things about this, but I'm obsessed with that idea. Yeah, me but too. <laughs> the, the main takeaway is always doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah. affect how you're living your life because you can't, if it's, Truly a simulation, you can't get out of it anyways and you can't flip the switch. So just continue living your life as normal. Yeah. You know, we, we, we miss we missed the chance to do this podcast in VR chat or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. We could do round two. Yeah, we missed that. You'll definitely have to add me on there. Oh, round two. <laughs> okay, but wait. You know what we didn't talk about? So have you played Half-Life Alex? Yes, I haven't completed it. Yes, I've played it. So I've just, I haven't played it yet, but I've just seen videos and like what makes it so good? Um, Just the level of detail that Valve makes in their games where you see something and then, because like what impressed me about um, Hapla Alex 
was like the, the shotgun, like loading a shot, and you have to manually cock the gun and then shoot it. That's impressive. But then the other thing was just the level of detail. Like I looked at something like a radio, and I, I could touch the buttons, and it would interact. And it would react to my actions. It can pull the antenna out. Just that, like that's like, and it's not in a lot of video games at the moment. Most like objects, you can pick them up and throw them around, but you can't really interact with it like you can mm-hmm. in, in Hub by Alex. That's pretty sweet. I think that's one of the things. Just like as virtual reality games become more and more immersive and interactive in the same way that Half-Life Alex is, I truly wonder if almost all gaming will eventually end up at virtual reality in comparison to just console. I don't know because I feel like there are so many people out there who maybe don't want to play a game where they have to stand up. But at the same time, I talk mm-hmm. to gamers who have tried both and all of them so far who I've spoken with who have tried virtual reality to say that it's better. But the problem comes with some people maybe don't have the space to play a virtual reality game or just don't have the interest yep. in playing a game where they have to stand up and be in it when they could just be sitting down relaxing. So I'm yeah. so curious to know how video games will evolve. I think people have had this discussion ever since VR started. Like there was skepticism back even back then. If you were to say that nobody's mm-hmm. gonna buy, like a, nobody's gonna wear like a one kilogram headset on their head all the time for like three or four hours straight or even like eight hours a day like some people play games like eight hours a day um hey man it's okay <laughs> yeah. i'm talking about myself too it's okay <laughs> yeah but like even when i wear the quest 2 which is like a very light headset um, i couldn't keep it on for more than like two hours or three hours straight I had to take breaks, mm. whereas like, yeah, I remember weekends when I woke up and play games on like a PlayStation or something until like when I go asleep to wake up the next day to play again. Like that's, I haven't done that VR before. I wonder how what will happen when Apple releases a VR headset because as soon as Apple releases something, it's like all yeah. right, like, like, if it has an Apple logo on it, people would buy it. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so is it cool if I ask you a question from one of our listeners? Yes, that's cool. I'm actually looking forward to it. Okay, so I have G. Billa who asks, when will it become standard practice to use virtual reality for high-risk task training such as surgery or working in environments such as mines or underwater? So I guess, when will it become common practice to use virtual reality for trading purposes like that? I know it's already something that exists now, but how far out are we? That's a tough question to answer because I, I don't think I will really know the, the exact answer to that. I know that for something like this to become a standard, it needs to go through a lot of testing and vigorous evaluation and all of that. And I don't know, like, like what I mentioned before about self-driving cars they're actually pretty good if you see the tests and the research that goes behind it they're really good at self-driving and not hitting things hitting people and they're better than than real drivers but still they're not regulated so i think the same thing is going to be an issue here maybe as the technology improves as well it might become a reality someday um but i imagine in the next like five or ten years everybody would have 
use virtuality or something similar and would have access to to that. So and then it become a general consensus that people will trust it more, and then maybe. That will be regulated and standardized, and then common practice. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main thing: is just getting people to try the technology, and then they have more faith in it. Yeah, I'm sure someone who's skeptical about a self-driving car, mm-hmm. if you just put them in a self-driving car and let the car drive them around for a bit, even if it was just like on a closed track where they know they were safe, mm-hmm. they would probably feel a lot more comfortable with that technology yeah. because they could have witnessed it o- firsthand. Also, the um The number of parties that are involved will increase the difficulty to to point. Like when something bad happens, you don't know who to point to. So, like if, if a self-driving car mm-hmm. makes an accident, goes, do you blame the programmer? Do you you blame Elon? Or like what do you do in that case? Like whereas if if somebody crashes into yeah. another car, then um, they can just talk to each other and get insurance involved. But you can't do that with this. You don't know who to point to. Yeah. Same with virtual reality. Like, if if a doctor operates on somebody, and uh, yeah, worst case scenario, they make a mistake, then they're at fault. Um, but if they're using VR or similar tech to to do the operation, and then I don't know, there's a bug in the software or like something happens. Who do you blame? Yeah. So that's that's gonna be one of the main issues. As so well. who do you blame? When two self-driving cars crash into each other, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like who who gets to claim whose insurance? Look, I don't even know. I think I think both people call Tesla and they say, "Yo, this car, something's wrong here. All our necks yeah. are broken." Oh, Jesus Christ, dude! Are you not watching where you're going? No, I think the idea with self-driving cars is that two would not crash into each other. But I'm just saying, like a one yeah. in a million chance, it could maybe happen. But um, okay, before I go, I always ask my guests a couple rapid-fire questions. Okay. Um, so I'll ask you these. You can answer them as quickly or as slowly as you want. But I want to know what's the most difficult part about being a researcher studying VR technology. Well, for me specifically, it would be because I'm coming from a uh, robotics background, engineering. Um, I don't study game design, study software, and all this. Getting the tech to work and like shape it to what I wanted to do is challenging. It's a steep learning curve, but. Uh, Yeah, but that's just for me specifically. If you have, you've come from that background, yeah. it'd be easier. Yeah, I I find that as well actually because I come from a mechanical engineering background, so trying to do robotics and uh, virtual reality research with software and programming is not always easy. It's a pretty steep learning curve. Yeah. Okay. What do you find to be the most rewarding thing about being a researcher studying VR tech? You get to play with VR tech for free. That's pretty, Hell yeah. that's pretty rewarding, right? I can get uh, the university or the project to, to buy me stuff to, to use for it. Um, <laughs> also, also, it's very rewarding. Again, it, it's because I come, we come from a engineering background. And um, if, if you show what I do in, in VR and the sim- simulations that I do, then nothing compared to like Half-Life Alex. Um, if you show this to like a yeah. game designer, they would be like, "Oh, is this a first year project or something?" Um, but it's cool to robotics researchers, and it's a new thing to them. So I almost 
a hundred percent always like amaze people with with it. Mm-hmm. So it's very nice. rewarding. Okay, so what do you like least about being uh, a researcher? What what sucks? <laughs> it could just be emails. It could be paperwork. Yeah. Uh, it could be going to bed at six in the morning, <laughs> five days in a row. All of the above. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, a lot of things suck. Like the paperwork, um, funding. Like you need funding to get things going, but you need to spend your time to to work on grants and stuff. Yeah, when you could just be doing research. Yeah, when you could be in, doing anything else. Yeah, I've written a couple of grant proposals. It sucks. <laughs> I, I used to really hate writing stuff like writing in general like uh papers or even documenting my work like when you're so used to being an engineer where you just can just oh that you can show people that it works and that that's good enough um but now you need to document everything and write everything down and make it a research paper or something an academic paper that sucks at the beginning yeah. yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel that a hard part for me was trying to write out and formulate a research question when I didn't really know exactly what I wanted my project to be yet. It was just like, I knew what my interests were, but I didn't know how I could apply those interests to a research project. Luckily, I have two really great advising professors and they've been helping me a lot along the way, but yeah. that's definitely a big struggle. So Okay, so what do you like most about being a researcher? Um, just like what's what's the best? Is it when you make a robot and it works? When you hit play on the simulation and it actually goes? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just satisfying on its own. <laughs> um, but being a researcher specifically, let's see. I don't know. Do you think it sounds cool just to say that I'm a researcher? Yeah, I do. I for sure do. I think because it's like you're you're literally discovering new things and you're breaking new boundaries yes. of things people don't even know, which is great. Yeah. Okay, this next question is a bit of a beauty pageant question, so to say. <laughs> I like to think of it that way because it totally is. Uh, okay, put, so um, just straight. put your tiara on. Yeah, with sass. Um, okay, so if money was not a concern... How would you use virtual reality technology to make our world a better place? Thank you, Judge. Uh, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. Um, I would say that if money was not a concern, I'm like Jeff Bezos or something. First of all, I would pay my taxes. Um, secondly, <laughs> Secondly, I don't <laughs> think. <laughs> oh, this is too good. Um, secondly, I don't think um, VR technology would would be the first thing I would put my money to, because then again, like with just unlimited money, you can solve a lot of other problems in the world as well. But yeah, if 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 I can get everybody a VR headset, that'd be great. Like we said before, everybody can try it, and now. I don't know. I might probably pay researchers who are doing VR and robotics more. Put money where it yeah. matters. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's a big thing. Is 
if you were able to get every single person a virtual reality headset, it would just be that many more people who would be thinking about mm-hmm. virtual reality and that many more people who could get inspired and just more minds who could offer like creative solutions to problems that maybe our small research community hasn't really solved yet. Yeah, this could take quite a bit of time. Okay, so what would you say is the most valuable fact, lesson, or piece of advice that you've learned from doing what you do? And it can be about like virtual reality, it can be about research, it can just be about life. This is one of those questions that if you ask somebody, they would change the answer every year or something. Uh, oh, as, yeah, for as, sure. As, I'm sure they would change it every, every day. day. Yes, like, especially when they're just getting started, like like you and me. Okay, so when I was, all the time that I was growing up, up until now, I've always had a mindset that, like, as long as I can produce, um, like, good results um, and, like, achieve what I was assigned to do, like, you know, like, even schoolwork, assignments or, or anything, um, as long as I can produce that result and meet the, the criteria and stuff, that's good enough. It, it doesn't matter how I do it. So like throughout uni, I always leave things to the last minute. Um, and I do assignments like the day before and then review stuff the day before and all that. And, and it, it, it got me through uni and I thought it was fine. Um, but especially when you do research, um, you, when you do a PhD for like four or five, six years, right? That's your job. Um, if you get a scholarship or you get funding for your project, that's your job is to learn and do research. And you in charge of yourself and your supervisor might be there to help you and guide you, but you, you're in charge of your own thing. That's when nobody is going to give you assignments or deadlines or anything. You give your own. And so I found recently that discipline also helped. Like, uh, I've been trying to get up earlier, work from like nine to five. Just get yourself in the routine and get like disciplined yourself into working and doing research. And it really helped produce better results. Yeah, that's a big one. I find the routine is so important. I try and do a routine actually almost the exact same every day, whether I have a day on when I'm working or if I have a day off. If I'm, I'll try and like exercise at least for an hour every day. And I try and wake up and go to bed at the same time almost every day. And then if I'm working, I'm working. And if I have the day off, then I use that same period of time that I would normally be working to study. Mm. So it's good to try and just stay in that routine. Not too hard. Like still, still have time for yourself. Don't lose the sanity over it. Yeah. Oh, for (laughs) sure. But I think like you definitely, even if I don't study for eight hours on my days off, if I even just get some studying done in that period of time, and then I use some other time for play, getting an hour of exercise, especially if you combine exercise with getting outdoors, that hour a day is more than enough to kind of give you that energy boost you need. Um, Okay. So... Do you have any words of advice for listeners thinking of getting into virtual reality? If they're already thinking of getting into virtual reality, then I don't think there's any other advice I could give to them. But if you haven't tried like a proper VR headset on before, like a play VR game, then you definitely should. I don't know 
where you can get started though. I don't know if they have these in Australia, but in Canada they have like, you can just go to like a mall or like certain arcades and they have the virtual reality headsets and you can play games. Like you, they have Half-Life Alex on like a really good PC VR setup and you can just play. Really? But I need to, I need to clearly go so I can play Half-Life Alex myself, but. Okay, well this has been, this has been awesome actually. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. So I will put all of the links to all your social media and the show notes so people can check you out and check out your YouTube. But maybe you can just give me a quick social media plug of where my listeners can find you. Yes. So I have a YouTube channel. So that's Mecha Tony. Mecha is in uh, M-E-C-H-A and then Tony you can look it up on YouTube. I don't use Instagram that often. So probably not that. I do have a Facebook, uh, which I think you just linked on your post, right? On, on your podcast, so they can go to that. And uh, LinkedIn as well, if you want to talk biz. Cool. Oh, that's awesome. I'll link all of those so that anyone who wants to chat with you about virtual reality or your research. I will also include in the show notes a link to some of your most recent research papers, maybe the one about rock scaling. Is that one published? Yes, it, it's all, it's on um, ResearchGate. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I will link. I'll link that one as well. This has been cool. It's been really cool for me too. Yeah. Well, thanks, dude. Oh, thank you. So, thank you for joining us today on the podcast, where curious minds explore how technology is shaping the future of our modern Earth. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review, drop us a rating, share it with a friend, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show by joining my Patreon for as little as $2 a month on patreon.com slash modern earth. That's even cheaper than the two chocolate bars you ate last night at midnight. No? (laughs) Maybe that's just me. On my Patreon, you can submit questions to our upcoming guest speakers, get early access to new episodes, find bonus content, and much more. Since this is an indie podcast, I'm open to community feedback. If you really like saying about the show, I'd love to hear about it. If you have any suggestions or really want to hear me cover a topic, drop me a line and I'll try and make it happen. Links to all the products, articles, and websites we spoke about on the show today can be found in the show notes. I'd also like to thank Rai P. Beats for designing the show's theme music. You can check him out on Spotify or SoundCloud for some of his latest work. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you for listening. After the credits of each episode, I plan on telling you guys something about myself. This week, I thought I'd let you know about my dog I have at home. Her name is Olive, and out of all the toys I've ever bought for her, her favorite one is just a classic blue rubber band you can buy at any old office store. Out of any of the lessons I've learned from her, the best one has to be that the purest hearts are the easiest to please. Again, I'm your host, Liam Roy, and I'll be back to interview a new guest next time on Modern Earth. So, so the idea is right. Any sufficiently advanced civilization would create, could create a simulation that's like our existence, and so the theory follows that may, maybe we're in the simulation. Have you thought about this? And a lot. Are we? <laughs> are we? Even I, in hot tubs. So much so, it had to be banned from a hot tub. Yeah. <laughs>